and we're recording. <laughs> okay. Hey there, I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Natasha. And welcome to Missing Pieces, a Canadian true crime podcast, episode number six. This is our, what is it, our third attempt at recording this episode, because we're just garbage human beings that suck at committing to things. <laughs> We've tried so hard, we're like, we should do it today, and then you, like, call each other, we're like, no, I'm too tired today, I don't, I don't need to be more depressed by listening to murder cases, and then we try again, and we're like, well, I'm just not feeling funny today, I'm like, okay, well, let's try again, so this is try number three, and you know, as they say, third time's charm, so, hey, hopefully we'll get it this time. Hopefully third time actually is the charm, and we succeed. Yeah, no kidding. So, I'm first this week, I think. Yes, you are. Yeah, perfect. All right, so I I have kind of, okay, this is kind of an interesting case for me, like, personally, because um, it kind of involves, like, repressed memory for me. Like, if anyone sort of knows anything about that, basically, like, you'll have something happen to you, like, when you're a kid or whatever, um, but you'll, your brain is just like, okay, well, it wasn't important, so they won't remember it until something comes up where it's like, Oh, and it triggers something like, oh, oh, I suddenly remember that. Or it also works where, of course, like if you have trauma, your brain's like, nope, nope, nope. In order for self-preservation, we don't, we don't remember that. Thanks. Bye. In the case of mine, mine is the first one where it's like, not, it's not, not traumatic or anything like that. It's just like, oh shit, right. That happened. So I have the case of Rena Verk, who is 14. So Rena was born March 10th, 1983. And she came from a large extended family who basically immigrated from India. They were also Jehovah's Witnesses in a predominantly Sikh area uh, in Saanich, BC, which is on the island. And she was kind of described as someone who, I mean, it's kind of a sad way to describe someone, but like she's 14. So she was described as someone who was desperate for the acceptance of her peers, basically. So like she wanted friends, shock, surprise at the age of 14, who doesn't want that? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, that's not a very flattering description, is it? No, but I'm sure, like, any 14-year-old, that it's how any 14-year-old would be described, who on earth doesn't want friends. So I just thought it was really... Yeah, but it's not how any 14-year-old would want to be remembered. No, I, I just thought it was a really lame way to, to be described. Yeah. Give the poor girl some fucking personality. Yeah, no kidding. But, I mean, later oh, on... Oh, yeah, this is our girl. She was desperate. Yeah, I know. It sounds really sad. But last... Like, oh, this is our girl. She was fun. She loved soccer or something. I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was lonely and sad and desperate for friends. Yeah. But I came across stuff later on that um, obviously revealed her in a much more flattering light. But that was just... That was the first thing that I found about it. And I was like, really? That's that's what you're going with? Okay. (laughs) All right. Anyway. So on November 14th, 1997... Verk was invited to a party by a friend near the Craig Flower Bridge, which is, again, also in Saanich area. They were allegedly drinking, smoking pot, all the things that, like, teenagers do, right? So, I guess they had some issues when one of the other girls decided to put out a cigarette on Verk's forehead. Yeah, I mean, I guess it all started because, apparently, Verk had... I mean, it's typical, all typical teenage stuff where, like, somebody stole somebody's boyfriend or, you know, somebody was bothered because someone had taken their cell phone or taken a bad picture of them or whatever. I mean, it's all, it's all teenage girls, right? So, you know, it's all the bullshit that goes along with that. So, either way, at, at the end of all these arguments, she ends up with a cigarette put out on her face. 
So basically, others, somewhere between like six and eight other teenage girls uh, watched, basically, and then started to join in as they began punching and kicking and basically just beating the crap out of this poor girl. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? No. So basically, the beating only ended when one of the girls told the other ones to stop, that that was enough. Stop, stop doing that, basically. And so, Verk actually managed to walk away from that assault, which, you know, was pretty lucky for her. Yeah, it's a fucking miracle. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But she was then followed by 15-year-old Kelly Ellard and 16-year-old Warren Glowatsky. And Warren was actually the only male involved in this group of wayward teenagers. And six of them actually became known as the Shoreline Six because they were all underage. They were not allowed to, their names were not allowed to be used or anything like that in trial transcripts or in any sort of public record until when they became adults then it was it was allowed so Ellard and Glowatsky followed Verk past the bridge again so kind of to the <laughs> my cat <laughs> anyway. really Tim does not approve of that no he's like what the fuck anyway so they followed her to the other side of the bridge and they forced her to remove her shoes and her jacket and started to beat her up again now, the motive as to why both of them decided to go and do this is actually unclear. I'm more curious as to why they decided to, or why they got her to take off her coat and shoes. Yeah. I think probably because it was November and it was cold and it was a dick thing oh, to do. Oh, so you're not going to run away on frozen feet. Exactly. These are also the same kids that put a cigarette out on her forehead and beat the shit out of her. So, hey, who knows? Her, yeah. But why actually, why Warren, the, the boy, got involved is kind of on, I couldn't find anything, like he never was able to say like, oh yeah, I got involved because of this, or I decided to beat her up because of this. There's no oh, actual... Five bucks says, five bucks says that he's the one all the women were fighting over. Could be. That's, yeah, it could be. He's probably loving it too. He's probably like, yeah, that's right, I'm worth fighting over. I'm a 16 year old boy who's totally hot shit. Yeah. It wasn't even specified why Kelly Ellard decided to try and beat this girl up either. Honestly, I think it was just like a mob mentality thing, and they all decided they didn't like her, and then she just decided to go and finish the job, I guess. So, after beating her up, they basically all made a pact, after the initial the initial beating anyway. They all made a pact not to rat each other out, essentially. So, rumors, and of, but of course... It, there are a bunch of teenagers that would never work. So rumors started to spread around the Shoreline Secondary School, which is where all the, the perpetrators attended. And several uninvolved students and teachers heard all the rumors, but they they went unreported, essentially, because, again, they're teenage kids, so they're like, you know, is this real? Is this fake? But Rourke's disappearance was actually really public. So, of course, I mean, she's a teenage girl. Of course, she goes missing, and it's all over the place. So you'd think that these rumors going around that, you know, these kids had beaten her up and whatever that someone would have reported something but nobody actually did not at this point anyway wow and sorry where did you say this was this was in Saanich area it's on, on the, the island. island yeah okay yeah so eight days later on the 22nd of November the rumors were actually confirmed when Verk's partially clothed body washed up on the gorge inlet in the gorge inlet fuck yeah so the coroner ruled her death a drowning which was kind of interesting but the autopsy revealed that the head injuries that were sustained during her beatings were severe enough to have killed her had she not actually drowned. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, as either she died 
a little bit faster or a little bit slower. Yeah. They also found that she had several more cigarette burns on her skin and that attempts had been made to light her hair on fire. What the fuck? Yeah. And keep in mind, like, these are kids. You know, these are kids. Teenage girls are fucking evil, dude. Teenage girls are fucking evil. And a teenage boy. Let's not forget that. Yeah, okay, true. Yeah. He too. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's completely, yeah, it's completely ridiculous. So I couldn't find an exact time when Ellard and Glowatsky were arrested, but it is known that Ellard had made several statements to students that saying she was involved, basically. Uh, oh, she was feeling stressed out. Uh, she ran into a student. She ran into another student on the day of the murder and was like, oh, yeah, can I have a cigarette? I'm feeling really stressed out because I was just involved in beating someone up, basically, down by the gorge or whatever. So, what a stupid fucking person. Again, teenagers. Hormones, no brains. Hormones, no brains. At the trial, um, Glowatsky, so Glowatsky and Ellard actually had separate trials. They weren't tried together. So Glowatsky's trial went first, and he stated that Ellard participated in the second attack on Verk and then actually held her head underwater in the waist-deep water of the gorge and drowned her. Ellard, of course, in her own trial, denied this happening, saying that she merely rolled Verk's unconscious body into the water after they'd finished beating the shit out of her. Oh, that's so much better. I know, right? So much better. But actually, the jacket that she was wearing at the time of the attack was recovered like 10 days after she was arrested, and there was actually salt stains from the ocean, basically, up to the waist of the jacket, as well as on the wrists of the jacket. So she really did hold her head under. They could never 100% prove it, because it was his word against hers, because there was no other kids there. Right. And basically all the coroner was able to determine was that, yes, she had drowned, so either statement, you know, whether or not she held her underwater or whether or not she just pushed her unconscious body into the water, either statement, she still would have drowned. Oh, that's uh, that's so fucked up. What? Where did you find this case? Oh, my God, my <laughs> Murderpedia, man. Murderpedia is the shit. Man, I fucking found mine on Murderpedia, too. Um, anyway, so Ellard basically had said to another student that night, this is kind of what I was talking about before, where she'd said that, oh, she'd been stressed out or whatever. So she ran into another student at, like, 11 o'clock that night that were just kind of walking around. And what on earth all these 15- and 14-year-olds are doing just wandering around in the middle of the night is beyond me, but hey. And she said that she said to him, and he later testified that, that she had said to him that she was stressed out because she'd gotten into a fight with a girl and had held her head under the water on a gorge. On the gorge. Yeah. So she also further took another teen, so a teenage girl later on after this, to the bridge and actually reenacted what had happened and then stated to her as well that she had held Burke's head underwater for 10 minutes. So it's not really a he said, he's, it's not really he said, she said, it's he said... And she said, and she said, and she said, and she said it again. Yeah. Also said that you did this. Pretty much. Sorry, I'm just looking at my notes again here. I'm having a really hard time reading my own writing. (laughs) It's a struggle. (laughs) Oh, there we go. Okay, hang on. I sorted my shit out here. So I found a really great timeline of what actually happened after the murders. Three girls that were also involved pled guilty to assault causing bodily harm. And then in February, this is all occurring in February of 1998, three more girls were actually convicted of the same thing, assault causing bodily harm. 
and they were sentenced to basically a range of sentences from 60 days kind of conditional sentences to a year in jail but one of the girls couldn't be held in jail due to um, suicide attempts and they said it was PTSD due to witnessing like the violent death of her own mother but I would also say that I don't know would probably be related to witnessing this girl's beating not doing anything about it and then knowing later that she died yeah that it probably fucked me up too and not to mention being involved in it yeah like oh poor girl she can't be held in jail for committing a crime yeah too fucking bad honey get in solitary yeah so in june of 1999 warren is convicted in a separate trial of second degree murder sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for seven years in march 9th of 2000 ellard in her first trial because get ready there's more than one Oh, God. Yeah. She's convicted of second-degree murder in adult court, so they decided to try her as an adult for this. Good. And she's sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for five years. So on February 4th, 2003, the B.C. Court of Appeals announced that due to inappropriate... Uh, impropriety, sorry, in the way that Ellard was questioned during the first trial, they would have to order a new trial. So I guess you can't... There was some sort of... Way, the way that she was questioned was not allowed or something like that, especially since she was a teen at the time of the first trial. So they ordered a new trial, essentially. her That's what her lawyer did. Her lawyer said that we have to have a new trial because some improprieties occurred. So she was granted it. So on June 14th of the same year, trial number two begins for her. And in July of that same year, a mistrial was declared after the jury deadlocked 11 to 1. So that's trial number two. Jesus. Yep. In February 2nd of 2005, she has a third trial. And on April 12th of the same year, she was found guilty again of second-degree murder, convicted life with no parole for at least seven years. That's just so dissatisfying. Seven years? That's it? You murdered someone? You're trying to, like, you violently assaulted somebody and then went back for seconds violently assaulted them again and then killed them and you get seven years no you get life without parole no chance of parole for seven years but still convicted of life in life imprisonment essentially but no chance of parole for seven years which usually life imprisonment is no chance of parole for up to 25 but i think that's first degree murder not second and it was determined that they hadn't it wasn't premeditated essentially Maybe. Well, I don't know. The case I did last week, or was it last week? The McDonald's killers? That was... The guy was convicted of second degree, and he got life with no chance for 20 years, and everyone else got life with no chance for 25. So, oh, fuck, seven years just seems so inadequate, though. Yeah. No, I totally agree. So on July 20th of 2006, nine years into a life sentence, the male who is involved, Warren Glowatsky, is actually granted unescorted temporary passes by the National Parole Board. And actually, supposedly, the Verks family supported this decision. So, Rena's parents, supposedly. Yeah. So, basically, that's kind of the first step in allowing him to be integrated back into society. And I guess, yeah, the paper that I found had said that they actually had supported that decision. Whether or not that's true, I don't... It never really went into any kind of detail about it. So, on August 9th, 2006, Ellard appealed her conviction, asking for a fourth trial... Or an acquittal. So the Crown basically at this point has the option of holding a fourth trial, obviously. 
uh, holding an appeal for her or abandoning prosecution completely and basically letting her go free. They elected not to go with the let's let her go free option. So they actually, yeah, in 2009, they did do an appeal and the appeal went before the Supreme Court. And in June of the same year, the appeal totally failed. She was, her second degree murder charge with life imprisonment was upheld. And this finally ended a case that had lasted over a decade. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But she's not done fucking around yet. Literally and figuratively here. Oh my God. What is, this bitch is psycho. Oh yeah. No, completely. So in June of 2010, Glowatsky is actually released on parole completely. So the male, the guy who was involved, he's released. And then in 2016, Ellard actually became pregnant following a conjugal visit from her boyfriend. Get a boyfriend? Again, I mean, going back to, what's that website that you found? The Okay, you're right. You're yeah. right. I can't say shit. Exactly, yeah. Like those people out there, you never know. Hey, there's somebody out there for everybody, apparently. There sure is. Yeah, so she becomes pregnant. She has her child in prison. And then in January of 2017, she actually demanded a parole after the birth of her child for medical appointments, parenting programs, blah, 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 that sort of thing. And both she and her boyfriend, who was a criminal as well, were denied parole because her boyfriend was a gang member or had, what did they call it, had ties to gang activities or whatever. Oh, right, right. And it was determined that they would be too dangerous to be... She she would, she would was determined to be too dangerous to be released, basically, if, he, if she was going to be anywhere near him, more or less. And also... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus, you know, you know it was a move. Like, I bet that whole thing was calculated. Hey, maybe they'll let me in on prison if I get pregnant. That's exactly what I think, too. She's like, oh, you know, I'm, like, in my 30s. Like, the biological clock's ticking a little. Maybe I should just have a kid and they'll let me out. It'll be fine. Yeah, that'll totally work. No. Did not work. Bitch is still in jail. Yeah. So, since the murder, there's actually been a lot of, like, popular culture surrounding Rena Verk's case. So it's actually been the subject of an award-winning and best-selling book called Under the Bridge, which was the true story of the murder of Rena Verk, obviously, which was released in 2005. And it's being developed into a film and actually partly inspired a play called The Shape of a Girl, which was also, uh, which was actually being performed. I can't remember exactly when, um, but it was fairly recent. It was like 2011, 2012, somewhere in there that they actually were performing. It's what's called a monologue play, so it's one person. Wow. Yeah, and again, it actually it won awards. There was also another girl who published a series of poems who were dedicated to Rena Verk called Tell Poems for a Girlhood, and it was actually shortlisted for a poetry prize as well. So, wow. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if these things are good things or bad things because on the one hand, it's really good because it keeps the case in the forefront of people's minds, and the other, on the other hand, it's people capitalizing on this girl's murder, so... Yeah, not to mention that play sounds like it would be really fucking boring. I actually, I went to a monologue play one time, and it was actually kind of good. It's all in how it's presented. I guess, yeah. Yeah. But still, I mean, if the subject matter wasn't so interesting, I don't think I could sit there and watch one person fucking talk at me for yeah. two and a half hours or whatever. Yeah. So, back to what I was saying kind of at the beginning with my weird repressed memory. So, I have this memory of when I was 
it would have been in middle school or like really early in high school, like when I was like 15 or 16, somewhere in there, they actually had a woman come to our school to give a speech, which they usually do or like give a presentation or whatever. And usually it's like parents against drunk driving or, you know, whatever, that sort of thing, which is, which is awesome. That's great. I, I totally think they should do more of those. But this one, this one was the, this woman who was there with her parole officer and I'm pretty sure it was one of the girls involved in this case. One of the... Really? Yeah. I, it was obviously not Kelly Ellard, but I think it was actually one of the other girls that was involved in the initial beating. Yeah. So she actually had been... She had talked about the fact that she had mental health problems ever since then and that she'd been in and out of prison essentially since teenagehood, but she had considered that the... I don't know what they call that, but basically that was the moment when it all started, more or less. Wow, like the trigger type thing? Yeah, so she came to the school to talk about why not allowing people to bully other people is important because you never know where you're going to end up as the victim or as the perpetrator, right? Well, hopefully as the perpetrator you end up in jail. But not always. Like, I mean, obviously, with when the case comes to bullying, like, not everybody is... I don't know what the word is, but when you when you when you are a bully, it's not always just because you're like, you know what, I'm a terrible person. You're like, bad things have happened to me in my past, and the only way I can really deal with it is by making somebody else's life miserable, which is, I mean, utterly and completely unacceptable, and it's absolutely no way to deal with it. But that's basically what she was saying was that like it's important to make sure that you keep an eye out for people like that because you never know what can happen, right? And to make sure that you're always looking out for the little guy. Right, you'll never know how far it'll actually end up going. Yeah, absolutely. And she's like, I've been in prison basically the, like my entire adult, teenage and adult life because of this one instance. And, you know, that it's important for people to have an eye out for that kind of thing. So it's really important for people to be like, oh yeah, maybe I should actually stop that guy from beating that kid up. Or maybe I should try and you know get to the bottom of why someone is bullying and she wasn't saying it just for kids to try and do that but like parents and teachers like pay attention to that kind of thing because obviously not to go on a huge monologue here or anything but obviously bullying in in schools is a pretty big deal but it's it's huge yeah but it's generally like oh well kids will be kids or boys will be boys or all that kind of stuff which is just so totally inappropriate and unacceptable and it's such a fucking cop-out like oh yeah me, you see, you just, you see it happen so much, and, like, I was bullied, never to a really bad extent, but enough that, like, I fucking hated my school years, like, I, oh my god, but no one gave a shit, like, teachers would witness the girls being really rude to each other, to me, to everyone, like, there's, there's always, like, clicks, right? And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a teacher would teachers would witness these cliques being incredibly like intolerant of other people yeah. for anything. Like people would yell. Uh, they used to like ask me if I was a lesbian and stuff like that. And it's like no teacher ever stood up for me. No teacher ever gave a shit. Yeah. So like, if you want to talk about bullying, oh my god, I've got a lot to say on the subject. Yeah, I remember, and feel free to edit this out, obviously, but I remember you coming home from school one day, 
after you got your first car and someone had spray painted your car and had keyed it and I had to help you get yeah, the spray paint. Yeah, you had paint. to help me fucking take the paint off the car. Yeah, I had to help you get the spray paint off the car with acetone. Yeah. And I just remember being so angry. And I remember you knew exactly who did it, but you couldn't say anything because you couldn't prove it. And I was like... Yeah. No, I didn't know exactly who did it, but I had some fucking good theories. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, like, the day before it happened, and somebody commented on it and was like, oh, whose car is that? Like, they're clearly trying too hard to be, like, this other person who did, like, really cool... She painted, like, an like an African safari scene on her car, so it was, like, a sunset with, like, giraffe silhouettes. Like, it was really cool. Yeah. And then my, like, garbage fucking joke car that I painted with my friend. Yeah. They were like, oh, that person's, like, obviously trying to be cool. And then, like, the day after, it had been spray-painted. Yeah. I was like, wow, really? Fucking kidding me? Yeah, and I just remember being so angry about it, and like, yeah, just so frustrating that nobody would do anything or say anything, and like, I don't know. I was relatively lucky in high school, I and middle school and stuff too. I was not not bullied that much. There was one girl. There was one girl that used to bother me, and she came up to me one day and she asked me why I was wearing. I was wearing cargo pants, which, hey, those were all the rage <laughs> at the yeah, time. Yeah, they were keep in mind, you know, we went to school yeah. thousands. Yeah, <laughs> and she asked me why I was wearing those stupid pants, and I was like, because they're comfortable, and she was like, oh. Oh, I can't even shit talk. Yeah, I can't even shit talk that, she was like, oh, and then that was that, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's the extent of my bullying, I'm good with it, cool, and that was like, that's just how I learned to handle people, was like, just don't, I don't know give them the satisfaction totally don't give them the satisfaction be like oh yeah no oh it's fine or like oh yeah i know it looks dumb but i like it you know and like but sometimes man the mob mentality it gets past that point like i don't know and like if we're still going off stories we are kind of going on a tangent but if it's oh totally story, i've only had one successful time where it was actually this boy that i used to be friends with yeah and I don't know what happened, but somehow he just, like, jumped on the bandwagon of everyone hating me and was, like, made fun of me for the same thing. It was the fucking pair of pants I was wearing. And I was just like, hey, man, like, I pulled, like we were on the school bus. And I pulled him off the school bus, and I was like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you saying this to me? And he could not answer me. He was like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, can you stop? Because, like, we used to be friends. Yeah. That's the thing. Like... I think, like, <laughs> that's what frustrates me so much. Is like, if you actually ask anyone why they were bullying someone, they, they don't know. No, they can't answer. No. It's like, well, everyone else was. Yeah, everyone else is doing it. Or, like, oh, well, somebody started it, and then it just ended up here. And then and it's just like, so why don't you just stop? You yeah, know? like, how about you don't be a dickhead? Yeah. Mm. So, your turn now that we've just gone on this long-winded, horrible tangent, which is probably going to be edited out because <laughs> we talk too much. <laughs> we, we talk a lot, but I don't think I'm going to edit that out. Like, No? People deserve, like, fucking... I mean, like, my stance on bullying is pretty fucking public. Oh, yeah. So sort your shit can, out. There's no yeah, excuse. If we can have it out there verbally, like, bullies can just go fuck themselves. Yeah. I'll keep that on tape. Yeah. Happily. Yeah, there's no excuse. There's never an excuse. And if you feel like you need to physically or psychologically damage other people, you should probably see a therapist. Just saying. 
yeah, you should probably fucking not. And hey, you know what? If you're being bullied, ask them why they're doing it. It'll shut them right up. You hope. You hope. Or you'll get like, because I don't like you. Yeah, you'll get some dumbass reason. That makes everything make sense. Pretty much. Like you either, bitch. Yeah. Legit, though, if you're getting bullied, like, talk to somebody. Say something about it. Because that's the only way it stops. Even though people are like, oh, well, you know, you're being a snitch or whatever. No, that's not the case. Yeah, no. Do something. Just, yeah, don't, I don't know, like, don't give the bullies that kind of power over you. Yeah. As hard as it may be. Right. Don't ever think they're right. If you're getting bullied and somebody is telling you awful things, just know that that person is all of those awful things that are t- calling you, but you are not. You are a fucking gem and keep shining, so. Absolutely. Hell, everyone can just go fuck themselves except you. You're yep. <laughs> and you know what? If they think you're weird, weird is the new cool. We're weird. We're cool. Hey. We are super fucking cool. We think we're cool. We think we're cool, yeah. <laughs> We are super fucking weird, though. <laughs> exactly. And just know, shit will get better. It'll get better, and keep shining, man. It will. It'll It'll get so much better. Look at me now. I'm fucking totally adjusted. Yeah, we're completely normal. Maybe that's not the best example. <laughs> <laughs> we're totally well-adjusted, normal people. We're not crazy people that like to research murder. No. Mm-mm. I know. <laughs> Two, 
Yeah. They're like, no, no, it's fine. All that commotion woke us up, but it didn't wake up the kids. They sleep like logs. Don't worry. No, and this is 1847, so, you know, a family home is, like, one room. Yeah. And the kids are on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently they're just sleeping like little angels. And, yeah, I guess the men then told Phoebe not to say anything until the following morning before taking off into the night like two sinister axe-wielding bats. Apparently, Phoebe immediately disregarded their request and ran outside screaming. And before long, neighbors came out to help her. My, I'm so sorry, my phone. I can see it. I'm like, oh, you're tilting. You're falling over. Oh, where are you going? (laughs) Those of you who cannot see it in the incredibly high budget podcast that this is, I have two pieces of painter's tape keeping my phone on the headboard of my bed because I can't afford a camera tripod. Anyway, worried about that. I was slowly watching her tip over. I'm like, oh, following her with my head. Like, where's she? Where's she going? Oh, anyway, anyway, yep. Where are we? Bye bye. (laughs) Okay, hopefully that sticks now for the rest of the the episode. (laughs) Oh my goodness, this episode's really going well. (laughs) So. Uh, where was I? Right. The days before Phoebe's arrest, six local men were arrested, including Thomas Coyle, a farmhand who worked for George Campbell. And the cops started doubting Phoebe's story pretty much right away because she seemed to not give a single fuck that her husband is dead. And she didn't lift, like, also she didn't lift a finger to actually help him while he was being axed to death, despite previously stating she handed him the axe. So clearly she was not the focus here. Like, they weren't paying attention to her. She probably could have, while they were whooping her husband's ass, probably could have snuck up behind one of them and hit him or stabbed him or anything, right? Basically didn't fucking help at all. And the final straw was probably when she said, I don't care. I'm innocent and I don't care. Oh, that's nice. Maybe you should show a little bit of emotion that your husband was hacked to death right in front of you. She's like, no, no, he was an asshole anyway. It's fine. I'm over it. This is 18, whatever. I'm just going to go on to the next guy. It's fine. It's 1847. No one really gives a shit. No. An autopsy. 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 Thank God we can edit. (laughs) Oh my God. An autopsy proved that two people had killed George Campbell and it was believed to be Phoebe and Thomas Coyle, one of the men that they had arrested previously. And during the coroner's inquest, the jurors were brought to the Campbell cabin where they found George dead on the floor. He was, quote, covered in gore his head beaten to pieces with both ends of an axe, end quote. Which just presents a really lovely visual, but then to add some flair to that, the also it was also noted that there was blood covering every part of the cabin. I can only imagine, yeah. The cast off from that yeah. must have just been a fucking Jackson Pollock made of nightmares. Yes. 
So this was a pretty fucking violent affair, which naturally was why I caught my... Wow, oh my god, I couldn't say that sentence either. That was why it caught my attention. <laughs> because it was listed on Murderpedia as method of murder, hacked to death with axe. Huh. So I was like, um, yes please. <laughs> attention grabbed. Yes. After the coroner said that it was most likely Phoebe and Thomas that did it, they were arrested, and Phoebe placed all the blame on Coyle. Of course. And then changed her mind and accused her cousin instead. Wait, what? I have no idea where she's fucking getting. Like, she's just picking names out of a hat, I think. Pretty much. She's like, oh, I have this guy over here that's like, basically, they've already decided is guilty, but now I'm going to just, I'm going to draw it from somewhere else, because this was getting too boring. Yeah, so at that point, the jig was up, and Phoebe spent the fall of 1871 and the winter of 1872 incarcerated. I'm really having trouble saying words today. Are you having a stroke? Are you okay? (laughs) I don't know. Let's do the acronym. What is it? Fast? Yep. Face, arm, speech, time. (laughs) That's it. I remembered face, speech, and time. I just forgot the arm. Ah, yeah. So, on April 1st. Yeah. 1872, her trial began, and it took place in London, Ontario. The trial gained tons of public interest, which was kind of the best part, aside from the axe murder. The entire case really gained tons and tons, like a ridiculous amount of public interest, obviously from the method. And throughout the entire thing, she was kind of boring about it. She was super apathetic the entire trial, and... One piece of evidence, one key piece of evidence that was presented by the jury was a letter written by Phoebe for Thomas Coyle that said, I never shall say you've done any such thing again if I have to die for it. So, I don't, she doesn't seem very educated, but the least, honestly, the least she could do is pick a fucking scapegoat and stick with it. Like, yeah. I blame you. No, I don't. I blame him. No, I don't. Ah, then, oh, oh, who am I going to blame today? Who knows? It's a different one each day. Like, a fucking... What I want to know is, how did they even solve crimes back in the 1800s? Because, like, there, it's not, there's no such thing as forensic evidence, really. And honestly, someone just basically had to walk up to you and be like, I actually murdered this person, sorry. In, for, in order for you to solve anything. Like, my God. You walk in there, you're like, well, there's no such thing as DNA yet. We can't read blood spatter. Uh, we don't do fingerprints. We don't do hair analysis. We don't do any kind of really anything. So we're just going to make a wild-ass guess and hope that eventually somebody is going to claim responsibility for this. And even if they, if, and even if someone does confess to this, we don't really have any way of determining that it's actually correct. Yeah. <laughs> Although, to be fair, it doesn't really sound like she was hiding it very well. She was like, no. uh, two men. Ghost of her husband, really? That's I don't know. Like she somehow thought 
that the court would be like, oh, shit. Ghosts? We don't deny that shit. Yeah. Dead hubby coming back to say you're innocent? That is totally legit. It only took an hour for the guilty verdict to be reached. No surprise there. Yeah. When her main is that her dead husband said she didn't do it. Yeah. And at that point, this is when she finally showed some emotion and she cried, apparently. Then later on, she finally confessed in an eight-page fucking novel that it was her and Thomas Coyle who killed poor George because they wanted to marry like, what an anticlimactic fucking... Reason. Yeah. Although back then, I, divorce was not a thing. So, I mean... I was gonna say, I guess axe murder was less effort than maybe divorce was. Yeah. Probably. I would imagine yeah, that you probably so, ended up with less public ridicule over being an axe-murdering crazy person versus being divorced back then. <laughs> Actually, you're probably right. Things were a little backwards then. Uh-huh. Uh, Coyle also faced trial for the crime, but he was acquitted. And then he buggered off and moved to England. I would too. I, I definitely would too. At her execution on June 20th, 1872, she was 25 years old and once again an emotionless lump. <laughs> <laughs> and they hung her, if oh. I didn't already mentioned that before. Yeah. In the aftermath, her two kids, they were named David and Mary, who didn't exist for this entire fucking trial. I have no idea where they were while all of this was going on, including the murder itself. But afterwards, I know what happened to them. They were raised by Phoebe's parents, and then after that, I have no idea. Huh. Apparently, this crime actually got so famous that someone made novelty postcards depicting the murder and because Canadians are way more fucked up than everyone thinks we are the postcards sold like hotcakes <laughs> sold out like immediately okay but public executions back then were like a public thing like you got your kids out of bed at like whatever 8am on Monday morning and you went off to watch the local convicted prisoner be hung that was just that was what you did yeah but I mean like these postcards they weren't depicting the hanging they were depicting Okay. So that's a little tasteless, but then it is 1847, so, or sorry, 1872, so. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's my whole case. It's short and a little bit dull, but. <laughs> like the axe? That was terrible. <laughs> oh, God. That was, that was like a, and pause for laughter moment. <laughs> yeah, insert laugh track here. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> we, are, we might not be at the top of our game today. <laughs> yeah, we're a little overtired. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, God. Once again, I still have my handy post-it note to remind me, to remind everyone else to talk to us. So if you Ooh, have yeah. any interesting cases that you'd like to share with us or any information about cases we've already covered... Email us at missing-pieces at outlook.com. You can also find us on Twitter at missingpieces3. That was a really <laughs> nice fucking scripted. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst readout I've ever heard. Like, and then they said this with absolutely no emotion whatsoever. <laughs> with no inflection. They told us to email them. <laughs> Please add inflection in your emails, people. And we know it's hard, but like grammar does exist. 
And I promise we will and not read it like that. In there, yeah. And, I mean, just fucking email us. I'm getting upset. No one's emailed me. Ooh, yeah, that's at true. All. I know. I'll email you. <laughs> Alright. You'll email me. Yeah, I'll email you. <laughs> we'll email each other. We'll email our own email. Ooh, yeah, we'll perfect. Like, Someone else wants to do this. So. Oh, God. Also, tell us fun stories. Like, even if you... Maybe it's not a murder cover. Maybe you punched your bully in the face. Fucking, I don't know. Ooh, yes. Victory stories. Tell yeah. us that. Tell us, yes, tell us cool shit. Mm-hmm. Or really bad puns. I love those. Oh, God, no, please don't send those. <laughs> send, them, send them to me. Address it to me. Be like, hey, this one's for Nat, and then give me the worst fucking puns you could possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks for joining us. We will see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.